Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When Diplomacy Fails presents Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails Hey guys, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails Welcome to When Diplomacy Fails Hello and welcome to Hello when and welcome fails. to When Diplomacy Fails A project five years in the making the Franco-Prussian War, the Seven Years' War, of the When Diplomacy Fails special on Napoleon, the Crimean War, to When Diplomacy Fails special on World War One, Dutch Revolt, to the When Diplomacy Fails special on the Thirty Years' War, the July Crisis Anniversary Project, the Swedish Deluge, Britain goes to war, the nineteen sixteen to the Franco-Dutch War of sixteen seventy-two. This is When Diplomacy Fails remastered. back we are back with the second part of the interview with aziz thanks for joining us once again history friends and i hope you enjoyed the last one i for one had a blast it was probably one of the most fun i've had in one of these collaborations so yeah i'm glad you guys are along for the journey and i'm glad you guys are able to join in with us and kind of almost take part in the discussion in a way if you'd like to talk about any of these issues that we bring up i mean most of them would be i'm sure of interest to you guys at some point so yeah by all means Get in contact with us. Maybe you roll your eyes when we talk about Patreon, but these are things that matter to us because they are things that are kind of always at the forefront of our concerns. I mean, we are creators. This isn't my actual job. It's my hobby. But once it starts bringing in an income, that's when things start to change. And actually, that's kind of been a theme in the last, well, few months, really, with Patreon, how things have changed. If you haven't read that blog post, go and read it, guys. Go to the Vassal State blog and check out the Fine Line series of blog posts that I have. It's three parts, 
and each one kind of goes into a different aspect of it. I don't know, maybe you're not into reading, maybe you are, but that kind of gets into more of my mindset and what I'm all about. You can find that by going to wdfpodcast.com, just so you know. But yeah, so what's the second part of the interview all about? Well, if you had some grounding of who Aziz was and what the story is with him in the first part, this part kind of elaborates more. Except in this kind of interview set, we talk about the historical basis or the historical inspiration that George R. R. Martin took from, well, events in history. I mean, we all know the ones from the War of the Roses. I mean, Lancaster, Lannister is probably as obvious as the night is day or whatever, whatever that saying is. That's not at all the right context to use it. But you catch my drift. It's very, very clear. Wow, how did I ever go to college? Anyway, yeah, so what you need to know for this episode is that we kind of talk about stuff like that in more detail we talk about the historical inspiration in one circumstance i talk about the french wars of religion and one example that always struck me as kind of perhaps indirect inspiration for the red wedding perhaps direct inspiration i don't know but the massacre of saint bartholomew where henry the third of navarre the future king of france is henry the fourth sees himself, well, trapped while all his friends are massacred. And to me, I don't know if you've seen that episode of Game of Thrones. I mean, come on, it's like four years ago, so it doesn't really matter if you haven't, and I'm spoiling this for you. It's your own fault, really. Whatever, but yeah, so everyone dies, basically, and one of the main characters is like, oh, don't kill my son, and that's kind of how I compare it to, well, what Henry III went through there. So yeah, so we talk about that. Talk about the historical precedent for the likes of Game of Thrones. Is it possible for someone that is interested in fantasy, for someone that's interested in Game of Thrones, to take that inspiration, to kind of see it? Maybe it's brought across to them, and then maybe they look to history more after that. In short, is it possible to use Game of Thrones as a kind of gateway drug, if you like, into history? Does it evoke your interest? Does it make it bigger? Do we look at Game of Thrones and think, oh, that's interesting, that makes me want to look up that portion of history more, because that's obviously where George R. Martin got it from. So yeah, I mean, we talk about creating as well, the, por- the importance of creating as an art form, and why it is important to create and be an ambassador to people, like, I mean, maybe you're just starting out and doing what it is that you enjoy doing, but you're not really sure about how to go about it, or if it can be made successful or anything like that. I've always thought that Aziz is a great ambassador for that, because on the surface, I mean, Game of Thrones is popular, but you might be thinking, how on earth can I make a living out of that? Well, Aziz is doing it. He's doing it, and to top it all off, he's a great guy to boot. So yeah, he'd be able to give you some advice, he'd be able to give you some, well, pointers, really, to show you the right direction, show you where to go, and why being a creator and doing what it is that you enjoy is so important in this day and age. I don't know, maybe I've kind of changed my tune over the last few weeks or months. Maybe I've gotten less cynical and more hopeful, I suppose. Maybe. Surely that's only a good thing. Unfortunately, I'm one of those people who hasn't read anything other than a history book since 2012. That is obviously my own fault, but that should give you an idea of the way my brain works. It also became clear to me, I mean, when I'm recording this, it's it's mid-April, so the stress is definitely on because the wedding is near and all that kind of stuff. But the thing that kind of became clear to me around this point in time in my life is that I was kind of burning out. And I don't mean that in a kind of dramatic way or or I'm trying to be a martyr or anything like that. I just mean almost by accident. I not... I don't know. How do I put it without sounding... Well, there is no real way to put it. I basically... I kind of... Without getting sick of podcasting, without hating podcasting, my form of burnout looked more like 
me losing sight of why I enjoy doing podcasting in the first place. And it was almost in the course of this interview and then thinking it over afterwards that I was, and I talked to him after we recorded it as well, and we kind of thinking, yeah, I guess I guess I did just burn out without even really realizing it. So yeah, how about that? Aziz the psychiatrist bringing that out in me. Fair play to the guy. He's a great guy, and I'm very fond of him after this interview he did me a great solid with this and if you're here now because of his little plug at the start of the episode of one of his history of westeros episodes then hey you're very welcome and i hope this ramble at the start of this episode doesn't throw you off but yeah sometimes it's nice to share these things because it's nice for you to know that i'm just a human being like you guys and that sometimes these things happen and i have to really try my best to get over them and move on but while seeking help in the bosom of my family, as they say. Some people say that. I don't know if they do or not. But yeah, maybe you don't care. Maybe you just want me to get on with this. And so I will stick around to the end. And well, maybe don't stick around to the end if you're sick of hearing my voice already. But yeah, I hope you enjoy this last part of the interview, guys. Thanks for listening. And I'll be talking to you all soon. I, want, I wanted to talk as well about changing gears just a little bit. The way we were sure. saying how how kind of setting up like world building and all that kind of thing and how much of the inspiration he gets, George R. R. Martin gets, is from history kind of thing. And I think he's, he mentioned the War of the Roses a few times. But I actually oh, see, yeah. I see, see a lot of parallels with, and you were mentioning there, the, the Civil Wars, the, the Blackfire uh, rebellions and all that kind of thing. And to me, all of those echo, I don't know how familiar you are with, with French history, but there's this period of French history called the French Wars of Religion. And from about mm. the 1550s to the, I suppose, really like the 1590s, there was essentially civil war in France. And now it was religiously motivated. So that's why probably people don't really look into it. But in terms yeah. of like the different factions running around and, the fact that loads of nobles rose up and then they were knocked down, and at one stage you had this you had this thing called the War of the Three Henrys because there was like all these different factions and they they happened to all be called Henry at the time, and Henry just seemed to be a really popular <laughs> name. But it was like the echoing of that I find, and even takes us right up to the Red Wedding because there was this event called the Massacre of Saint Bartholomew. And it occurred in 1572. I'm not going to get into too much details, but basically what was supposed to happen was leader of the Protestant Huguenots, Henry of Navarre, he was supposed to marry the the, the, mm. the the sister of the French king, Margaret. And it seemed to be going really well and everything. And then the, the night of the wedding, everything goes to hell in a handbasket. And in in retaliation almost for, for an attempted assassination or what have you that happened a, few, a week or two before, the Catholics just start massacring all the Protestants. And it, to me, this part has echoes of the Red Wedding because at one point, Henry is whisked into the, the throne room and he's standing in front of the, the King of France. And it, it's almost like the, it, when, when Cat, Catelyn Stark is kind of like pleading for Rob's life and, and Henry's like pre- pleading for his friends and, and they're saying like, oh, you have to convert Henry to Catholicism or else, or else we'll kill you huh. and all your friends. And... I just I I might be the only person who sees parallels in that, but to me I think, and and even the, the factionalism and how people change their loyalties all the time and like 
there's so much in that i find it's mad really that like people talk about glenn co they talk about the glenn co massacre or the black dinner mm. and that kind of thing black dinner that's yeah, yeah that's what those, we've heard a lot those are the things that come up a lot but there's what it basically is a roundabout way of me saying that Game of Thrones takes so much. A Song of Ice and Fire takes so much more inspiration for history, maybe even more than than Martin himself realizes. And I think it's, it's possible. Yeah, you're right. He may not know. He may not. Some of it maybe have just leaked into his subconscious. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's there's real like I don't know. I guess, I guess just just to say people like look more into it because I think it's been said before like the history is sometimes more incredible than fantasy itself and really i think the french wars of religion they're a period i skirted around kind of in the podcast but they're definitely a period for Hmm. ample opportunity in the future but yeah i i agree with that and it's it's interesting too because you you mentioned the wars of the roses which i am a lot more familiar with than the uh this this french civil wars Mm. the I mean, even the names are familiar. Lancaster, Lannister, yeah. Stork, 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 ah, is it Stork? York and Stark. <laughs> and if you look at Westeros, it's England made 10 times larger and turned 180 degrees. Um, sure, sure. Or, or yeah. flipped left to right, rather. And even the, the you know, that the famous Welsh um, mountaintop, Snowden, or Snowdon, the Eyrie, is mm. the Eyrie. I mean, it's it's this really, yeah. really familiar. yeah. And then the wall. I mean, the wall is the Hadrian's Wall, right? Exactly. I mean, that's yeah. just yeah. <laughs> the wildlings yeah. are picks, I suppose. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And Edward the Fourth was an amazing warrior that was an indifferent ruler that loved was a womanizer who loved to drink. I mean, that's Robert Baratheon, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. These are and Marguerite Anjou is very much you know the schemer is very much Cersei and, mm. and uh, yeah so. Yeah. Yeah, there's a he. It's with all those comparisons, I think you you're bound to be right. There's a few that he that snuck in that he may didn't even maybe he didn't even realize he was making a historical parallel. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what I kind of wanted to ask you about as well is, I suppose this is it's probably a hard question to answer just to give you a heads up, but a kind of okay. running <laughs> a running a running theme of this project that I kind of had an unofficial running theme was that I want to make people believe in the cause of studying history i want people to see that studying history is important and i want them to believe that history does matter and it's an important discipline to study so i'd like to just ask you maybe on you don't have to do with this super kind of academic answer or anything like that but just in terms of your podcast even how important is history to you as a podcaster for the history of westeros i'd say it's very very important and and we certainly benefit, I think, from having listeners that also are fans of history because we like to touch on those themes a lot. And if our audience, if it goes over the audience's head, then that's not interesting to them. But I think we try to make it interesting so that they'll want to. Mm. And maybe this relates a bit to what we discussed about earlier about bringing people into history. I think uh, Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones, has potential to create history fans because of his own real world history is so well uh, real world his own in world history is done <laughs> so well that find that to be fun they might realize that hey real world history has a lot to offer as well it's yeah. great there's a lot of like you said there's things that are too amazing to seem true like stranger than fiction type things yeah yeah that if you put this kind of thing in a book it wouldn't be realistic but it happened in real life uh, so i think there's a lot of room for that and I mean, that's our goal with History of Westeros is we mostly talk about the backstory 
of mm. Game of Thrones and Song of Ice and Fire. We certainly talk about material that's come out. We certainly talk about pre-release chapters. He's put out some chapters in advance, and that's something that we just jump on, and, and that becomes the focus. But our main thing is to talk about the backstory because yeah, there's so because that allows us to parallel the real world so much we get to compare to real world history and say, hey this is this has a historical precedent in our world and those things work it works to compare the real world to this fantasy setting because for the most part the fantasy elements don't play a huge role mm. they're not they're not a major aspect to the story in a lot of these areas like that whole blackfire rebellion thing we talked about before yeah that was a period in westeros where there was basically no magic whatsoever magic had sort of died out and what we're seeing in the Game of Thrones story is the return of magic in some ways, and it gets stronger as the books and show move forward. Like the, you know, before we had the end of season one, there were some dragons born. Now there's dragons flying around, burning ships, and doing all sorts of big things, and it's probably going to go farther than that even. And some of these historical periods that people love to hear about and that we love to talk about, mm. it's really just like a fantasy setting with completely real world aspects. Although they, you know, because they have a they believe these things to be real, even though they're not real anymore. Just like in the real world, people in the 13th century believed in some of these things that aren't real, that we know aren't real now. They believed in demons and spirits and ghosts. And that's one of the things I find fascinating is that it almost doesn't matter whether they're real if you believe it's real. Because people behave as if they're real. Yeah, I love the idea that, like, I was talking to uh, an Irish historian before, and I was just saying to him this this idea that, at one point in in like the 1850s, 1860s, right? You look back to that period and you kind of think, okay, they were kind of, I'd say somewhat sensible. I mean, they they were making empires and all that kind of thing. But there was this widespread belief that at the center of the African continent was this mysterious civilization, almost like a Pandora's box kind of thing that if it was found, it would consume the entire continent and unleash this great plague and... Some people who hadn't seen the center were convinced that all of the black plagues or any plagues that had happened before had been sent from this mysterious place in the center of Africa. And you had people who who came out and said, yes, I I talked to a man who, who said that he he visited this this plague city and that he's seen the plague people and that it's a dangerous place. <laughs> never go there. And of course, all made up because then when they found the center of Africa, Livingston never found anything like that. And. And the same with everyone else who who explored the <laughs> continent. So, but I think it's it's not it's not necessarily the case that I mean you did mention like the, the medieval era and all that kind of thing. Yes, people ha- like they had this suspicion in dragons and demons and everything else. But I mean, I know we don't think that there's White Walkers and all that kind of thing. Thanks. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, to put it another way, it wasn't too long ago that people imagined mysterious dark civilizations living in unexplored corners of the world but i guess that's because we've kind of gotten rid of the mystery now i find i've always took heart from george r martin's example partly because like you said and that was kind of a roundabout way of me getting into it earlier on i wanted to ask if you actually thought and then you answered the question before i asked it if you thought (laughs) people from being fans of Game of Thrones, could even get into history more. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. And then on the other hand, if we have an interest in history, it's even better if we've never listened, if we never listened to Game of Thrones on audiobook or read it or even watched it on TV. There's a whole load of possibilities out there to kind of feast upon. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think it's a great time to be a, a consumer of 
people's created products at this very moment in time. Yeah, I totally agree. And I like to, I steer our own fans because of course there's, it's been five years since there's been a, well, six years really since there's been a new game of Thrones book. So as, as strong as the fandom is, uh, there's room for me to recommend things outside of the books that everyone that listens to my show has already read. So I push people when I try to suggest things. I like to suggest historical fiction that I have read that is historically accurate because there's a lot mm. of historical fiction out there that's just they don't give a crap what they write. They're just making stuff up as they go along. It's very, it shouldn't be called historical fiction. It should be called historical fiction. You know, <laughs> change the <laughs> emphasis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, hi- historical should be in quotes. And, yes. <laughs> and but someone like say, my favorite Wars of the Roses book, uh, historical fiction pieces, uh, Sharon K. Penman's The Sun and Splendor. That's an excellent historical novel that she stuck to history almost entirely and the few places that she didn't she tells you where she mm. broke from she so she tells you where she broke from history as sure. far as we know of course there's, there's always wiggle room because there's always sources that dispute something and that allows a historical fiction writer to pick which source they're like well this is it's possible we don't know which is the real story but i got to pick one of these and real clever historical fiction writers know to include elements so you can see why these differing opinions came to be show the circumstances as they really happened well, as they think they really happened, and show how these differing opinions emerged in the first place. I'm super fascinated by that, and I'm also, I also think that, like you say, if I, on my show, if I were to point to someone and say, hey, look, this character within the Game of Thrones story is a really carbon copy of this historical figure, it definitely might turn someone into, say, hey, I want to read, if that's like their favorite character in yeah. Game of Thrones, they might be like, well, I want to read more about the inspiration of this real person. Then you yeah. go into a rabbit hole, <laughs> you're like reading Wikipedia about you know, your favorite character in the story, and then you read about their real-world example. Next thing you know, you've clicked on that person's son or who the king was at that time or their <laughs> nation or the time period or something, and you're in a Wikipedia hole, and you're reading. Uh, hopefully, we send some people off on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to mention, if, if we wanted to re- mention historical fiction, you can't really not mention Bernard Cornwell just because of not even just the sharp books that he wrote for Napoleonic War setting, but he's re- he's written a few others recently, kind of set in the likes of Agincourt, and he essentially studied, which you can tell because he'd done that for the sharp books, but he studied kind of like what it would have been like to have been a bowman at that stage and what it would have been like to fight in Agincourt and what, what the experience would have been like for an average foot soldier. And and as well, another thing that might draw you to the actual book is on the front of it. I think the book is called 1413, but on like Agincourt's date, but uh, or was that 1415? Oh, I'm going to get murdered for that. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah uh, I could just look it up. But yeah, uh, on the front of that book, it has a quote from George or Martin saying, oh, the best battle scenes I've ever read kind of thing. That's part of why I picked up Cornwell, because of yeah. that recommendation from George. Yeah. I haven't read Agincourt, and I haven't read any of the Sharp, but I've read all of the Last Kingdom books, and, I've, mm. and of course I've watched the Last Kingdom TV show. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, like that, I mean, there is definite possibilities for spillover, and I think that's only a good thing. But I mentioned it earlier on just in terms of, like, it's a good time to be a consumer of created goods, and I know that's a very vague phrase, but I wanted to kind of wheel it back to, like, the likes of ourselves, how we are creators and i just wanted to kind of briefly talk because 
I released at the time this has been this episode is being recorded here. I recently wrote a, a blog post in in my blog called the the fine line, and it's about like asking about it's asking about money or, or whether that's begging or greed. But the second part was about Patreon especially and kind of the struggle as a creator between seeing money as success or seeing your created items as success and i kind of i just because you had a good response to that i kind of just wanted to ask you maybe not necessarily on a super personal level but what extent you kind of relate to that maybe your story say just i just think people would find mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I find it interesting because I'm sure you might not necessarily, I mean, sometimes it might even be bad press to say like, oh, I love, I, I, I would stage, I was very obsessed with the money, which, I mean, I don't know. Personally, <laughs> I, I don't really mind saying that, but because people will be like, well, I'm not going to give him money. He's only in for the money, which obviously we're not. I mean, there's far easier ways <laughs> to make money than what we do. But yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, for, for yourself, I mean, how tough was that transition to maybe just tell us the kind of experience you had with Patreon and if it changed the way you look at what it is that you do. Yeah, I think my my journey was probably not the most typical because before podcasting, I was a professional poker player and I was burning out on that and it's becoming for multiple reasons. One, I had been doing it for 10 years. Wow. Second of all, getting for getting progressively harder to make a living at. Yeah. And it also does not mesh well with doing creative things because it's a we used to say I a lot of you could call them coworkers, just other professional poker players that I'm friends with. 
that we would call it a, a hard way to make an easy living. And it's an easy living because you don't have a boss and because you can work whenever you want and because you're just sitting at a computer and we would play online poker. You can have an entire month where you lose money. You don't, you know, (laughs) Uh, it was very typical for me to have nine months of the year where I would make money and three months of the year where I'd lose money just on average because that's just the nature of it. It's gambling. You have swings and you have runs of bad luck and runs of good luck and you can't you don't rely on luck but you recognize that it it happens so i was looking for something else to do but podcasting didn't seem like it would be the thing to do but it was something i was doing at the same time and we we were doing this for we started in 2012 and it was purely for fun certainly did not imagine that something any as niche as game of thrones podcast could ever make money of any kind so that was it, it certainly wasn't something that we even could that we even conceived of at the time. Yeah. But as we went on, we just started getting more serious about it. We started taking it. We, we started off just having chats. We would discuss a topic. Then eventually we would make a, a, a pretty thorough outline, a progressively thorougher, you know, each time around. Yeah. Then eventually I started writing scripts. Right now I typically write a 30 to 40 page script for every single episode. That is obviously a lot more work. And I could not have done that as, as a hobby. That's too much yeah. work for doing as wow. a hobby. So in between that, it just it, it was really just the audience reaction, the fans. I tell people, you know, when we pitch our Patreon, say, hey, we couldn't do this without you. And that just sounds like a really standard thing to say. It's like, oh, you're thanking your fans. Everyone does that. But it's so true mm. because we don't, you know, that's the thing about Patreon. Really, those are your sponsors. They're individuals that are sponsoring you rather than some business. And yeah. that's what you have to do to survive in a niche. You know, even history podcasting is a niche and we're arguably about as big as a niche as you can get because if you don't like Game of Thrones, you have no interest in us whatsoever. Anyone out there potentially could have an interest in, say, Chinese history. I'll throw one out there randomly. You never know. Chinese history could be interesting to just about anybody. You know, a lot of people just are like, I am never going to care about Game of Thrones. (laughs) Some people, (laughs) that's their attitude. And that's totally fine. I don't have, I don't know, you know, I wouldn't argue with them. So it was just people saying, hey, hey, can we give you some money? Can we give you a donation? And we're like, all right, yeah, let's put up a donation link. I'm not going to tell people no. Sure, if you want to give us some money, why not? And, <laughs> you know, it's a trickle. People would give us a little bit, and it was enough to pay some costs, you know, pay some server fees or buy us a microphone and sure. things like that. They really add up when you're doing something for a hobby. You don't want to have to spend a whole lot of money on it. And so it's nice that some of the fans pick up that slack for us. So Patreon just came along as a thing. It it, it was created when I don't remember when it launched. I think maybe 2013 or 14. And yeah. of course, then it was small. It took a while for people to hear about it. But some of our own listeners told us, "Hey, Patreon, it's a thing. Why don't you you should go? You guys should try this out." And we're like, "Yeah, we'll probably try that out. Maybe we'll do that." We took it took us a little while because it's that whole thing. You just we're gonna have to start asking for money. You don't want to ask for money. It feels weird. But then you just it. But part of it's. I realized with my own ego, like I got to get over myself. You know, the reason I don't want to ask for money is because of my ego. I don't want to be asking for money. That's it sounds like. But I'm then I just I just had to get over that. I'm like, that's a bad attitude. I think for me, I realized that was a bad attitude. You know, hey, if I'm gonna make the show work, this is what I got to do. If I'm not willing to do the things to make the show work, then I shouldn't be surprised if it doesn't work. So, you know, it's just a matter of kind of swallowing your pride and being like, hey. We've got to ask for some money, and sure, that's yeah. the only way this is going to work. I cannot write a thirty to forty page script in my free time, <laughs> that's just, unless unless y'all want me to put out three episodes a year. You know, yeah. that's just not going to happen. If, if I put out an episode once a month, and I want to put out an episode once a month, 
we're going to have to meet in the middle. You know, there's going to need to be some money involved. And so I think it's pretty reasonable on both sides. Like people, if people are willing to pay for your content, then it's very much uh, the marketplace is determined that you're valuable. So go run with it, you know, and uh, it's it's definitely a point of pride. It's funny, kind of, it's funny. I just talked about having to push my ego aside to ask for money, and then people give you money, and it pumps your ego back up again. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's why it's and, weird. Uh, yeah, it's just it's definitely a journey. It's like a, a self journey of like considering all these things and being like, all right, this is a new paradigm. We're all doing something that no one has done before. There aren't people that came. I mean, there were podcasters before us, but there weren't podcasters making a living on Patreon before us. We're part of that first wave. So it's new. We're all doing something new here that we are kind of feeling out as we go. And, you know, we're bound to make a few mistakes, maybe do some things wrong, but, but we also can talk to each other and get ideas from each other and say, Hey, you know, you're, this creator is doing something pretty clever with their patrons. Let's, let's copy that. You know, it's just like any other business model. People see a good idea and might as well do what they're doing. I, I definitely get you there. I, I think as well, for me, I mean, if anyone's read that post, they'll know how I feel about it. But I'm so happy that there's a a, a, a means like like the, that, that the facility is there because it's so good. Like, it's almost like now that it's here, you're like, how did someone not think of this ages ago? Because it seems so, so simple. But then it's like ourselves, we have to get over the fact of being like, uh, can I have uh, some money? Because uh, it's going to be really good. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll make this show amazing and everything like that. Podcasting is awkward with Patreon. Not, not. I don't know, maybe awkward is the wrong word, but the fact that people would normally get podcasts for free. And because of that, then it's weird to ask for money for a podcast so you have to offer an extra feed or you have to do this kind of thing and that's great because then you're doing more work and you're getting more involved in it but then that's being made up the extra workload being made up for because of the the money coming in and all that kind of stuff but i think that there's a danger amidst that kind of process getting lost in the i need to produce more stuff so that my voice is out there more so that people will hear me more asking for money so that they'll give me more money so that I feel more justified doing what I do so then I do more of what I do so then I get more money it's I'm not sure maybe my head's the only one that works like that but I found that after because I remember talking my she'll be my wife by the time this is out I remember talking to my wife Anna and basically saying kind of oh, I don't know if I want to launch Patreon because I'm not sure I mean I'll have to ask for money and that's not really my jam and it's amazing how quickly I got over the asking for money and went from the ask not wanting to ask going from not wanting to ask to wanting more money very quickly and uh, yeah. yeah i think i've it's often been said that i have no shame i mean i'm constantly pushing my podcast out there like to mm-hmm. stupid like to ridiculous levels like giving random people like key rings and and stickers kind of thing i mean not random people but like i go into a bookshop and buy history books and they talk to me about them and before i next thing i know i'm giving them a when diplomacy fails pen or a when diplomacy fails key ring or <laughs> I guess it's just motive at the end of the day. You have to be grounded enough to be able to say, I'm doing this because I'm doing it for history. Like, I'm doing it for history. You're doing it for your love of creating podcasts based around the history of Westeros. You're not, like, you're doing it because it's your job, sure. But if you didn't like doing it, you wouldn't do it. So you're doing it because you would enjoy creating. So I think this whole spiel is basically a way of me saying it's, Sometimes it's easy to get lost when money starts coming in and you're not used to it. But I think it's important to remember 
essentially why you started. Yeah, that's so true. And I'm, I guess I could say I'm a little bit lucky that I haven't lost, you know, I haven't burned out, you know, I, mm. I, despite writing these scripts and despite being in this niche of this book world that hasn't put out a new book in six years, there's still so much passion for it. Just not just from, not, not just from our listeners, but I, you know, I haven't, I don't feel like I've slowed down much. I'm sure I, you know, I, I have days where I don't feel like working and I don't have to, but those are not common. You know, mm. I just, most days I'm still interested in this material and can easily get lost in it when I'm trying to write an episode and I realize that, Hey, a couple hours has passed and I've been writing this stuff. And <laughs> I just, I, I worry that I'm going to, you know, it's like in the back of my head, I'm like, Oh, I hope, sure hope I don't burn out. Cause that's, yeah. it's going to be hard to do this if I don't have the energy for it because yeah, just writing all that. And that, and that's something that I think one of the things that we, that made us realize we could do this semi-professional and then eventually fully professionally was people would give us that feedback. They would say, not just, hey, have you considered doing this for a living? But hey, I love how enthusiastic you are. Your enthusiasm is what is, is part of what we tune in for. Yeah. And so if I lose that enthusiasm, I'm definitely in big trouble. <laughs> and that's something that I know we've all talked about. You know, you know what I've talked about off, offline and on Facebook, other places about some of the original podcasters who have been around before us, like Dan Carlin. And that was one thing that, I really appreciate about him was his enthusiasm, his, his enthusiasm, his present, his presentation is sometimes he's four hours in and he's still like, nah, this is, blah, you know, yeah. he's just like really emphatic. And he's like, can you imagine yeah. the blood put yourself in their place? He's just really just, it's sincere interest and enthusiasm. Yeah. And that's the one thing. If you are selling a product that you actually believe in, not, you're not faking it. Mm. That, enthusiasm is infectious and people will catch on and they're like this person is legitimately enthusiastic they are not bsing me here they're not Mm. gaslighting me they really care about this so i'm interested because that's you know we're all social creatures and and if we when we see genuine enthusiasm from another human we tend to perk up you know unless we already unless we already know that subject and we already know we hate it (laughs) but (laughs) if it's something new you know it's like hey what's what's up i'm curious i like cool things Mm. you know Mm. In the future, I'd like to be uh, a lecturer at university level. And obviously, you have to be enthusiastic. And you can't fake authenticity because as much as you might think that you're not coming across as insincere, people can tell even if you don't think they can. You're you're at your most truthful when you're telling the truth. I mean, it sounds obvious, but you can't pretend to be interested in something you're not. And I think with the likes of this, with the likes of what you do, people will always come back to it. It's not because they're like, oh, I love the way he writes 40 pages of script. If you have 40 pages (laughs) of script and you just hated it, like it it would be useless. But obviously, you know this. I'm, I'm telling you what you already know. But it's the same with myself. I mean, I didn't do this stupid amount of workload. And you know, it's probably a big part of the reason why I felt like I lost sight of what I was doing because there was such an intense Mm. amount of workload in a short space of time. And I guess, as I said, there's a reason why people haven't released two episodes every day for five weeks. But there's, (laughs) there's a lot to be said for finding what you love and creating that. And then I feel like the rest will follow afterwards. Yeah, we're we're really lucky that we're not only is this thing that we've both fallen into that we've found that we really love doing that the world is ready for it. 
You know, yeah. like we have, like you said, we have Patreon, we have podcast listenership, not just you and me. I mean, all podcasts that has basically doubled every year for several years. And yeah. the podcast audience is just growing and advertisers are paying more attention to podcasts as, as outlets mm. for, for selling things. And it's just, it's a great time. We're luck. We're lucky that we got into it early and we're lucky that it's growing in a way that's making it possible for us to be semi or fully professional at it. And that, yeah, that makes me more enthused. That helps my enthusiasm. Oh, you know, I'm just too. like, wow, I'm lucky. I'm really lucky <laughs> that this has worked out so well and that it looks like it's going to continue to get better, you know? Mm-hmm. And something you said about our show as well is really true. You know, if someone were to look at our stats, our downloads or our number of subscribers or whatever have you, it's a little misleading because anytime you look at our numbers, say how many views does this video have? How many downloads does this podcast have? It's multiple listens per person a lot of times. It isn't this many different people. It's Mm. several. We have a lot of listeners who listen to every episode we have two or three times each. Yeah. (laughs) And that's I I imagine you have some of that, too. Like people just like that was really good. And there's no way like how can you possibly take in everything? You know, know, if I were to listen to one of your episodes, there's no way I would synthesize every little bit of information you gave. There's no chance I wouldn't space out for a minute. There's no chance I wouldn't get something wrong or maybe mistake something you said Mm. or something like there's just too much information to get it all. And if you like the presentation, you know, it's like watching your favorite movie again. You're like, yeah, I'll listen to this again. That was good the first time, and I'm sure I missed something, so yeah, let's do it again. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the idea. I mean, I said that the unofficial motto was was why history, but another unofficial motto, I think, is that it's great to be creative, and it's great to do what you love, and then it's even more incredible to get money for it. So I often say at the end of all my episodes, thanks very much to to all the people who who obviously support the show and I know you do as well because you're very good to your patrons and your your Patreon system is so intricate I can't even wrap my head around <laughs> it but as long as you understand what's going on that that's what matters but yeah I think a huge thanks goes out to all of them and I think I really want to thank you as well because you as easy you're, you're one of those people who are out there and you're this might sound a bit strange but you're like an ambassador an ambassador for creating something and doing well with it and doing it right because you're not doing it because you're like oh game of thrones is popular so i'll do a podcast on it you're doing it because you're freaking obsessed (laughs) (laughs) because of that it comes across and that's why you are successful so my hat's off to you and my hat's off to you sir and if you were here i would buy you a guinness that's what i normally say (laughs) well if i were there i would drink it Cool, cool. Well, I think before we get out of here, I'd just like to give you the opportunity to drop some plugs if you'd like to do that. So Cool, thanks. Well, yeah, thanks again for having me, Zach. This is a great, very ambitious project you're doing here. And <laughs> you should some of this some of these things you've said about me uh absolutely apply to you as well. Uh, as far as being an ambassador and really just promoting history podcasts and the genre, just podcasts in general, your enthusiasm is is certainly not to be uh, despised. <laughs> Certainly very, uh, I'm, I am impressed by it. And as far as my end of things, yeah, we're again, my show is history of Westeros. We're on YouTube and iTunes and Google play. Of course, we, every episode we release is also a video. Uh, so some people like to see people sitting there when they're podcasting. Uh, personally, I, I, that's not me, but 
Yeah. Why not? <laughs> uh, although we do actually put some, we do put map shots and visual images in there sometimes. But hey, we can do that on Acast too. Do you ever make use of that functionality, by the way? I was thinking of doing that. I was also going to mention just the fact, even for finding you, YouTube is the second biggest search engine on the internet. So that's very helpful. If people ever search Game of Thrones, they might find you. Yeah, we do tend to come up on searches, especially if the term history comes in there as well. It's, it's interesting yeah. because there's, when when I started, when we started doing podcasts for Game of Thrones, there were a huge number of people doing Game of Thrones podcasts. At one point, it got to 80. 80. 80. 80. What? That's, they weren't all full-time. Some of them were doing other stuff, but during the season, they would, during the TV season, they would do Game of Thrones. But there was a, an account, a guy basically tracking all this. He His website was dedicated to just... Who's covering Game of Thrones? And it was this enormous list. Now the list has actually become really short. But instead, there's a ton on YouTube. It used to be very few people making videos, ah. and a ton of people making podcasts. Now it's the opposite. We're, there's just a few of us left making the podcast. It's kind of like the really dedicated ones, I guess you could say, because there's a few other of all of whom I'm friends with. We all know each other nowadays mm. who are making podcasts. <laughs> Everyone else just stopped. They fell off. They stopped. They moved on to something else. Then, but YouTube is just crazy with Game of Thrones content now. You know, we do fine over there, but it's interesting how much that. Is. Anyway, that was a tangent. So we do videos and podcasts, but they're all it's all the same stuff basically. And we have been putting map shots into our audio podcast because AK, the Acast platform allows for that, and that's pretty neat. Mm. Um, you find us as Westeros History on iTunes uh, or any other outlet, any other whatever podcatcher you use, you should be able to find us that way. And we're doing right now, we're working on an episode about Euron Greyjoy and we're going to be covering season seven when it rolls around in July, of course. Yes. Lots of other fun stuff. Whenever the next book comes out, we'll, of course, be nose to the grindstone whenever that happens. (laughs) But we'll see whenever that is. (laughs) And we also started another show that I want to plug. It's it's not, it has nothing to do with history, but we have a new show called Fandom Media that is just a side project where we review good tv and movies so that's we covered expanse and black sales it's always sunny in philadelphia and now we're covering better call saul so a whole nother thing not not for history but but everyone most people like tv shows too yeah (laughs) well big time yeah as i said a creative man doing creative things i like it very good only three months old we started this one in in, at the end of december so it's i guess four months old now Mm. so good stuff Fun, very fun. It's much easier to make than history of Westeros. <laughs> we don't write scripts. We just make an outline and, and work from that. So Nice. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Well, fair play to you. And I want to thank you again big time for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks a lot again for having me, Zach. It was a pleasure. And I think we had a great discussion. We did. Cheers. All righty. Welcome back. And... Thanks for listening. What did we think about the second part? Which part is your favourite? Maybe let me know. Did I ramble too much? Probably. I have a tendency to ramble. It was late in the day. I hadn't had much coffee on this day, I have to add, whereas fortunately Aziz himself had wolfed three coffees before we'd even started and then took a break for two more, so he definitely had the advantage right there, I think. That's safe to say. Did I burn out? Perhaps, but I'm okay now. That's all that matters, and I've learned my lesson to never take on a project as ridiculous as this ever again. (laughs) And it might sound obvious. In fact, it is fairly obvious if you take on this kind of a workload at such a stressful time in your life. Of course, there's going to be consequences. I'm not invincible, and I think I realize that now, 
more than ever. But I'm looking forward to a little break, a short enough break. I mean, two or three months before we get back into what we have planned for September onwards. Anyway, elsewhere in this episode, of course, we talked about becoming a professional, turning your podcast from a hobby into a job. And that's a kind of, I mean, obviously, it's something I'd love to do in the future, whether it's feasible or not. Who knows? I mean, patreon.com forward slash when diplomacy fails. Maybe it's possible. Maybe it is. It's up to you. And that's not a pressure thing. That's just saying. He said, Aziz said, the words came out of his very mouth. I mean, it's a cliche to say it, but he is reliant on his fans to get by. And that's never been so true in life for the likes of Aziz, for podcasters, creators, anyone on Patreon. They're reliant on their fans. And at the end of the day, we rely on you. I've always relied on you for downloads. Now I rely on a few of you for money. And... It's amazing, and I wouldn't change it for the world. You guys are making history podcasting thrive just as much as I'm trying to do, but you're making it actually happen because you are taking this podcast in, and hopefully you're telling some of your friends too. So thanks very much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed this collaboration. I really, really do, because it's one of my personal favorites. I think I probably say that after all of them, but yeah, I really did enjoy it. So make sure you let us both know what you thought through the usual channels. Search for History of Westeros, find him online, find him on Patreon, but give me money instead because I'm much better. Ha ha ha, I'm just kidding. Thanks for listening, guys, and I'll be seeing you all soon. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.